Welcome to Mahogany Moms Podcast. My name is Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, but you can call me Dr. Shell. I'm here to provide support and education on all things motherhood. Join me every other Wednesday for encouragement, inspiration, and information as we delve into health, mental and physical, education, money, and everything else that comes with this motherhood journey. All right, everyone, we have our guest, Shalonda Gibson, and she is going to be talking to us today about unconventional or non-traditional motherhood. And she'll be able to tell you a little bit more about why I'm using that term, unconventional or non-traditional. So hello, Miss Gibson. How are you? Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Whitaker. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself, the whole role of non-traditional or unconventional motherhood. I am Shalonda Gibson. Most of my friends know me as Shuli. I became an untraditional mother at 27 years old. I had gone to school to become a speech pathologist. I was working, just starting my career. And actually my last semester of grad school, I found out my dad had prostate cancer and he had custody of my younger half siblings. And when he passed in 2004, well, before he passed, he asked me to take care of them because their mom wasn't available. And I, after much prayer, said yes. It felt like the right thing to do. I was raised by my grandmother and I saw an example of sacrifice. And when it came to me, though, I felt like, man, you know, my life is just getting started. I felt like my siblings deserved a chance and I felt like I was in a place to provide that. So when my dad transitioned in 2004, I became an instant mother, literally after the funeral service. I pretty much packed up everything that they had, put them all in my Toyota Camry, and we had it packed out. And we drove to Houston, and I became a mother without giving birth. So I was a mother of a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 13-year-old. My oldest, the oldest of them had just turned 13. Wow. So yeah. what was that like for you? Like your dad, you know, had just passed. You're at the funeral. You, I guess you, you already knew that you were going to do this. Did you know you were going to take them from the funeral with you? I knew everything happened so crazy, right? It's just, it was crazy fast. Actually, I'll say this. I knew that I was going to take my younger sister and he worked to try to find someone to take the boys. And of course, his siblings were all older. Their children were grown. And we really couldn't find a place. And I was just like, okay, everybody, come on. Actually, it's kind of how it went. And the day that we left, it was, it was crazy. I don't even think I planned on leaving that day. Like, everything was such a blur. I remember we planned the funeral, worked with my aunts. I did a lot with that. My cousin stepped in. She helped. I don't... I don't know. And we left that day. And I just remember feeling really afraid because I knew I had to, you know, step into some really, really big shoes and become a mom. And all I was thinking about is like, okay, I have to go. And this is the dramatic part about it. I don't even think I ever shared this with you. Their mom, she showed up to the funeral. It was one of those things where it was decided I was going to take them. And then um, she started saying like, you know, well, I don't know about that. Almost like she was in opposition. Now she had been gone off the scene the whole time. 
And I was like, okay, well, all I know is I need to go. I'm not sure what to do. We left. She actually called the police on me and tried to have me charged with kidnapping. And I'm like, I have this letter from my dad asking me to take them. We didn't even, it was like a handwritten note that he had written. He was in a nursing home. He spent his last days there because he had gotten to the point where he couldn't walk or anything like that. And he wrote this note and it was witnessed by the social worker in the facility. Like, that's what I had. And I was like, I don't know what to do. He wants me to take them. And I, I don't know. So anyway, I was scared. I left. She called the police. And actually, the guy called me. He was like a sheriff or a constable or something like that. He had gotten my number. And I told him what happened. I told him what my dad asked me to do. And I told him I had this letter. And he told me that I was fine. It was going to be okay, that it was not, in fact, kidnapping. I was basically exercising the wishes of then my late father. So it was just a crazy time. And it was a scary time. And when they got here, I didn't know what to do. Like I said, I had a two-bedroom apartment. I didn't, I hadn't really thought about schools, like what school would they go to? I had no idea. And actually, there was a guy that I was friends with at the time that was a native Houstonian. He was well-connected. And he told me, well, where you live, there's like Red Elementary. You can put them in Red Elementary. And I just kind of got advice along the way. So now that I think back, I was winging the whole thing. (laughs) I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew that I agreed to take them. Um, That was, yeah, that was the start of it. It was insane. And actually, my brother had a doctor's appointment or something. I mean, the oldest one, the 13-year-old, had a doctor's appointment. So sorry, he did not come. I had the the two. I'm just like going back and reliving the story right now. But I took the two of them, the Carvier and Caronda. I brought them along with me. And then he came a week later. Okay. So did you have to go back and get him? No, he came with my cousin. She brought him to Houston. Mm -hmm. So your sister was, she was young, really still like a baby, but your brothers were a little bit older. So they had a little bit more life experience, right? Were they willing to come or (laughs) were they resistant? They were willing. There was no resistance. The resistance came probably more when they got here and I had rules in my house that were different than they had. Like I had, I don't even know if I had certain expectations because in my mind I was like, I'm just going to pray about this, give them Jesus, give them some love and give them some structure. That's it. That's like all I knew that they needed some structure. They just, that's it. And I was heavily involved in the church that really became my what you call it? like a sanctuary, just going to church, literally the sanctuary was my sanctuary. Like that's how I was able to just really deal with all of this. Because when I think back, the pressure was great. I don't even know how I made it through it. I don't even feel like I grieved it until honestly, maybe five years later, like I just was on the go and I didn't have time to really think about like what happened. I just was in go mode. Other than that, what other supports did you have? I had my cousin who was living in Houston. She was with me 
maybe the first month or two between my cousin Shalonda, same name, and my sister Robin, who had just graduated from Grambling, she came to live with me. And at one point we were all living in that two bedroom apartment and I went to work and one of them, either one or both of them, when they both were here, were there with the kids during the day. And I pretty much stepped into the primary breadwinner role. And that was that, like somehow we just, we managed, all of us were young. We were all in our twenties. I was 27. So that means Robin must've been like, 23 and Shalonda was like 24. Nobody having parenting experience, only babysitting experience with cousins and siblings. We'll be right back with more of today's episode of the Mahogany Moms podcast. Are you a mom feeling overwhelmed, stressed by your day-to-day task? We have just the thing. Burps, Fibs, and Breakdowns is a journal with filling prompts, checklists to make sure mom is taking care of herself, and tips sprinkled throughout from other mom. This is the perfect journal for moms of one or moms of many. To order our journal today, go to MahoneyMomsPodcast.com or click on the link in the show notes. Now let's dive back into the show. At 27, your dad asking you to take your younger siblings and you agreeing, right? Because there are lots of, of siblings that would say, you know what, I'm 27. I don't want to do that. I don't want that much responsibility. I don't, I don't know enough to even do this. We need to find somebody else. It seems like insanity, but at that time where I was spiritually, it was, I felt like it was the right thing to do. And that's one of those but God experiences. And when I would just kind of pray about it, when the weight was just so heavy, because there was a lot of times where it was heavy, the whole thing was just, it was a lot. It was a wild ride. But the scripture, and I don't know the address, as they say, to whom much is given, much is required, that kind of thing. And that's what would come up for me. Like, I realized that I'm very blessed. I realized that I definitely was equipped. I was young. It was nothing that, of course, that I willingly would have done if it wasn't for a higher power just leading me through the whole process. So, but God. Wow. So what were some of the highs and lows that you experienced mothering three kids, two boys and a little girl? It's like, (laughs) which ones do you choose? I'll say that when it comes to parenting, right, you, they might do one thing one day, and I just feel like just like any parent that naturally births a child, they can do some things that really make you proud and bring tears to your eyes and you have joy. And then the next minute they turn around and do something that makes you so upset and you're like, why? You know, just this whole thing. The process, I would say lows, it was the challenge because stepping in, not birthing them, being their sister, Being 27, being single, there was no male role model in the house for the boys, even though I tried to put them in programs, but I was there to deal with, you know, the discipline. And then you had one of the most challenging things would be family members or people making comments about, well, you know, how how do y'all do that? Just these constant reminders to them that I was just, I was just their sister. 
And I think that because they never truly accepted the role or I didn't give myself a title in a sense. It was like, call me Shuli. I'm Shuli. I'm just stepping in this role. And that made it hard because of course it's good when you're providing their needs and they're getting what they want. And just like children, they're going to push back. They want what they want. And I feel like outside influences became more of a challenge and made it more difficult than it had to be. Um, A lot of people judging, a lot of people making comments to me about the situation around them and not handling it in an adult fashion, if you will. And they were hearing so much. And I feel like children, you can get confused. And then also knowing that they had two losses, right? They, they lost their father and they lost their mother and they were dealing with that. And even when I took my younger brother through well, to counseling and we did try to do some grief counseling through the church, one of the things they said was the cycle of grief was like, it's just this repetitive thing where they would come to a point of acceptance, but then it's just like they would feel guilty that, okay, I'm loving her, I'm accepting her. And then they would get upset, feel depressed, like it was just this this constant cycle. And so I would say all or one were in that cycle and then dealing with the needs of three children and trying to balance my own life. And then I'm growing at the same time. I'm trying to figure out who I am, what I want to do in my life, like for real, for real, trying to pay off student loans, trying to get myself together. I wasn't even fully there before I took this on. So that that was just a lot. Like, I mean, we just had a lot of kind of like that. You can't tell me what to do attitude sometimes. And I felt like I couldn't relax. It was their whole, you know, they'll take my kindness for weakness. If you know me, like on a personal side, I tend to think that I'm kind of laid back, go with the flow, almost hippie like, if you will, and just kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm chill and I want to stay chill. But this forced me to step up in a different way, right? I had to be definitely authoritative. I had no problem with it, but I felt like I had to be on at all times. And it, I think I took the path of being more like, this is it. You're going to walk the line. I have to be structured. And I think career-wise, too, like as a speech pathologist, if you know that you're dealing with children and behavior, like really working to try to be consistent, and maybe I turned on more professional skills. So that, that made it, that was tough. Those were the lows, dealing with their emotions and their growing pains and outside influences. Um, you could pick, I could pick any instance. Do you have a, you know, can they have a cell phone? Um, those kind of things, just always getting pushback. And then one of the things that since we're talking, I'm going to have a real conversation. If you end up having to take a sibling or a niece or a nephew or take on somebody and say their parent is deceased or whatever. So then they got social security benefits. Like I didn't learn this actually. I didn't know this when they first came with me, but again, just learning things. I was told, okay, you can go to the social security office. They should be able to get benefits. Oh, that was the, that was the lowest of the low. Like that caused so much conflict because somewhere down the line, they knew that they got a check. Like, I hate that word. That just sounds so like the the energy of it. They knew that there was 
social security benefit check that came in their name. And so in certain communities, you learn that or it's that whole battle. The check is mine, says the child. And this is a lie, says the government, because the whole point of the check is to take care of the child. And that was just a source of conflict, confusion, all kinds of drama in the house because it was a matter of, so I have to take care of three kids. We have to have a house. So I have to move out of this apartment and I have to get a house so that we can all fit, blah, 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 all of that. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm, did I even have my, I said my Camry, but I'm like, did I even have my Camry at the time? I think I might've had a Corolla. I don't know when I got there. So it's just like, you have to change your life. And so that's that people count your money and they don't really know what goes into raising children, the food bills, the haircuts, the, all of that kind of stuff. So they feel like, okay, well you're working and you have these kids. So you got all this money and you should be good. Right. That means you saving and you stacking and you got all of this, like you rich, you rich, rich. And so then the kids are like, well, where's my money? Like, what do you mean? Where is your money? Are you not eating? Are you not sleeping? And it just, and it felt like it was just never enough. You, as you walked into this role, I mean, you knew, you knew, you agreed to it, but you really didn't know what you were getting into. And there's so many times that moms who, who, who birthed their kids are able to grow, right? They're able to grow as their kids grow. So they learn like in, in steps and phases. And you were like, yeah. It's in three different phases because you had a 13, a nine, and a four-year-old. So you're not six. Only a mom, yeah, six-year-old. A six-year-old. But you're becoming a yeah. mom of different stages. So their needs are totally different. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow, wow. Um, so that's a part, that's some of the craziness. But like you said, highs, like seeing my sister do her first dance recital when she took ballet. Like that was so cute, just that kind of thing. Seeing my brother play his first football game. It was just like those moments where you just, you feel really proud or seeing them take some of the class, like karate in school or it was crazy. Like I love buying school supplies. I don't know what it was, but like back to school was always like very exciting or seeing them thrive because the nine-year-old, so when he came, he had a label and pretty much they were, I forgot what they call it, called it then, but basically he had this label um, that he was mentally handicapped and I had to get him retested, go through all of that, try to get him in the right program. We ended up homeschooling him after Sylvan Learning Center. Like he came to me at nine, really not knowing how to read. His math skills just were pretty much non-existent and we just had to teach him how to do school. And so just getting him to the point of we got him to middle school, like after homeschooling, after all of that kind of stuff, he was with me through middle school before he left and just seeing him grow or seeing them, how they change physically, like their appearance, just from having like the basic things. Because when my brother, um, the 13 year old Dion, he came to me, he was overweight and he was in that pre-diabetic category and just like all of that kind of stuff. Cause he was just unhealthy. They weren't eating healthy foods and he had, you know how um, people who are diabetic, like their skin can change and all of that kind of stuff. So seeing him grow and just from making food changes, so they 
you know, they hated it probably at the time, like watching what they ate, cutting back on sugar and just all of that kind of stuff. And him getting active in school, like I saw his health change. He grew from the chubby little 13 year old to like this tall, handsome young man, like two different people and just seeing their evolution, like it was hopeful um, just to see it and seeing my sister go to private school and just all of these things that they had access to, to me, that was joy. Like I felt like I was giving them an opportunity to have a different kind of life. And so I guess that was also a way for you to kind of show I'm doing something good. Like this is a, I I made a good decision or I can see the fruits of the, of my labor, or I can see the fruits of our labor. Like it's, it's coming. time. And I was, it's interesting because I didn't know that your 13-year-old brother, I didn't know that he was like pre-diabetic. And I knew that your the, your, your brother under him struggled with learning, but I didn't know you were in school. Wow. That's a lot. We did that. That was like sixth grade. And at that time, I ended up doing that by myself because, again, that weighed on my relationship with my sister. By that time, my brother had gone on and just like with my sister and I, we started out, we were going to do it together. But by that time, we had just kind of fallen out. And I ended up having to take him. At that time, I was doing home health. I'm driving all over the city of Houston. She was supposed to take him some days. I had him some days. I forgot how the split was. But I ended up driving him around in my car. I'm seeing patients. This is like bringing tears to my eyes. I'm seeing patients and getting in the car. And then we're like doing math. Or we're doing whatever the lesson is with him and he was like into it and it really really helped him a lot so looking back it was like it was a good thing it was hard and it was stressful but i'm glad that i had the means to do it and somewhat the flexibility and then a neighbor actually stepped in the lady that lived across the street she would he would go with her some days and like i would just give him like the lessons to do and i looked up online like we didn't use a traditional online program i had gone to the bookstore did the research and just got different things and i just addressed it based on his skills so yeah that was and it was hot this is i just remember doing this and at a time when it was just like you know with the weather whatever but it really helped him a lot wow you did that thing you made a whole lot of sacrifices so <laughs> For someone to say that you weren't a mom, I, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> yeah, that was the hurtful part because I'm like, yeah, I might not have the title, but I had to step up in that way. I had to do anything that a parent would do. And even when my sister was in middle school and she was going through her trials and I had to go and I had this meeting with the vice principal and she was just like, I just want to tell you that you're doing a great job. Even if nobody else says that, even if you don't feel like it, she was just like, I see people come in this office that are, they're married and they have the means to do whatever they need to do for their children. But like seeing your sister and everything that you're doing, like keep doing it. She is doing great and you are doing great. Like, cause she just knew like a little bit of the background of my situation. And so it was just like stuff like that because people say, you know, it's a, it's a thankless job, like parenting is a thankless job. And um, that, I guess that would be a low. So when you take on a child that you didn't birth, then people can say things thoughtlessly without really considering how that feels. Like you said, just the sacrifice and all of that. But yeah, I was a parent. 
hands down, everything about my life said that I was a parent. Taking on the role of motherhood as an African-American woman, do you think that that played a part in it or? I can only speak for, you know, people in the African-American community just based on that experience because I see grandmothers taking on their grandchildren. I see, you know, somebody take, you know, aunts and uncles taking on their nieces and nephews. I just see it happening, you know, due to my, my situation was due to the drug epidemic. Their mom had a drug problem and that kind of thing. And so I can say that I'm sure it does happen in other communities, but just seeing how the family can step in and how people come together and do what they need to do. I think that is what I see more often where you see grandmothers all the time and you don't think anything of it. That's just taking care of their children. Again, my grandmother raised me and it was not due to a drug problem. It's just my, my parents divorced when I was like in third grade and I initially went with my mom, but then my dad like in the whole battle who gets the children and all of that kind of stuff my my dad won out and my mom felt like she didn't have you know the means to fight it was just like a crazy situation and of course in him getting us meant his mom got us because he was still living his life and we were living with him and he moved on and had another you know family but we still were there with my grandmother now it was a blessing but um as an african-american I don't really know how race would play a part in it other than like the prevalence of it or the attitude about that social security check, that kind of thing. And the unnecessary like drama and conflict. That's the only thing that I can really, really, really think of. I'm just thankful. Well, I'll say this. I'm thankful that I had the, education and the knowledge to kind of do what I needed to do. I believed in counseling. So we tried counseling and even to get them the benefits and the services that they needed because, because they got social security, they also got the medical benefits. And so we would have to go to these clinics and the way they treat people at those clinics. Um, even when you walk in and just your attitude and if first, like it was like a blow to my ego and it's a little bit of pride where you're like, I'm like, look, I work and I do, but I'm going into a clinic that's considered like a Medicaid clinic. And so the attitude of the workers at those clinics, it was almost like, are you trying to, you know, demean us? What are you trying to like? We're just going in for our appointment and they're there. They were just being rude. And then of course, my personality is I'm going to address it, but I can see how when people say, you know, this black person has an attitude and this like, or they talk about this black anger or this whatever, like we go through a lot. Like I went through a lot and I kept a smile on my face as much as possible. Now towards the end, you know, I had to start letting go. Like it really got heavy and it got to the point where it was just more and more difficult to smile because I was going through some stuff. And, but but when you wonder, like, why this person acts this way, behaves this way, responds this way, there are some reasons why. There's some heavy stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we deal with. And because we, we dress up and you can put on your makeup, we know how to make it look good. We know how to make lemonades out of lemons. Like, you just 
never know what's going on in a person's life until, you know, you really stop and take a look behind the behind the scenes. Because like you said, we're friends. And of course, we talk and I'm talkative. But there are parts of the story that probably still I forget about and I'm not thinking about that I don't share. So um, being an African-American, I would think, yeah, maybe if you're having to deal with parenting and you're having to deal with public entities, public health and that kind of thing, maybe the attitudes of the workers and that impact. So I could see a mom who doesn't have the resources and this is what she's been going through since baby was born going in and automatically having an attitude because they expect you to have an attitude, but then you're just trying to get your service and they treat you any kind of way, but then you feel like you got to stand up for yourself. Okay. So if there was, if you could give advice to moms in your situation or even just moms who have birthed kids, um, what would, what would you tell them? um honestly even if I've been ready in terms of I birthed the child or birthed the children I don't know that you can ever really be ready because every child has their own personality like you have to learn and take it as it comes now ideally you wouldn't want to be thrown into a parenting situation. There is no cookie cutter. Like I tried the do it grandmother's way. I've tried doing it the book way. I tried to find like a balance with all of it, but it was, it was rough having multiple children. You could be going through it every day of the week because one child is okay. And then the other child decides they want to cut up. It's like a cycle. Like they just take turns, like they get together in the room and decide whose turn it is. But it's 24 seven, whether it's somebody being sick, somebody getting in trouble in school, somebody talking about what, like all of the things, but in all of that, it is important to, hold on to your sanity, like the best way possible. And I'm saying that through, you know, self-care, people talk about that, but honestly, church was that thing, right? Like you said, the support, having that. And it's not, and even if it's not church, whether you're reading, whether you're meditating, like you need to do something for your mental, for the peace, for staying grounded, knowing that you're on the right track. Um, so taking care of yourself, having a support system because all my support didn't come from my family. Like I said, they provided certain things. And then a lot of ways it was a false sense of security where you're like, just because they're my family, they're supposed to do. Nah, not really. They don't have to. And then if they decide that they don't want to, like you have to. So I had friends that I could talk to that would listen to me um, because there were times when I would feel a certain way, but I felt guilty about it. So I would say, feel okay, find somebody that you can talk to. You don't have to feel guilty if you are not liking your child that day, because sometimes, you know, things happen. You're like, I love you, but you don't like their behavior. You don't like what's going on. And sometimes things feel out of your control and you need a support system to tell you it's okay. Cause I was miss like positive, the glass half, you know, full kind of person And then sometimes I just couldn't apply that logic to those situations because it was just going down. And so I remember talking to my family, uh, one of my family members one time, and I was just like, like, I don't like this. This is not feeling good. And they told me that I was selfish. But then I talked to a parent, a 
mother, somebody that was like, no, sometimes you don't like your kids and it's okay. I love them, but sometimes they upset you. So just hearing that information really helped me because I realized that a lot of parents deal with guilt, right? Feeling like you're doing too much, not doing enough. Like you don't really know and you want to take care of their needs and you want to make sure they feel loved and that they're like these great citizens and they are all that they can be and the next president and all of that kind of stuff. So the support system, take care of your mental. And then also it's okay to have your dreams also. Like I, that was a, a lot of my guilt was around me trying to keep a part of myself. Like I felt led to have them and bring them in and help as much as I could. And then I also was feeling led to, well, a part of it was necessity to kind of go into business. That's how I started Home Health because it gave me flexibility, but also to have the dream to do something great to help other people in the speech world. And it was kind of like when I would kind of pursue my dreams then if something would happen at home that I would feel bad, like maybe I should be spending more time at home or maybe I just need to put my life on hold because that was the example that I saw, right? I saw my, my grandmother who was this selfless person who sacrificed so much that you never really saw her complain instead of her, you know, complaining or going off. She didn't curse. She didn't do any of that. Like she was just this sweet woman. And I'm like, I don't know how she did it. But I realized I'm not her. I'm me. Um, I was trying to follow that example. And it was too much. It was way too much. And I, and like I said, I just felt bad because I had a desire to do two things, to help them and then also to live out my dreams. So it's like, don't feel guilty. The thing that let me off the hook with that was when before Jada Pinkett started the Red Table Talk, when she had that video with her and her daughter and her mom, and she was talking about, you know, your dreams and taking care of yourself. And when you do that, then you can be a better mother. You can be a better wife. And that helped me. Like, you know, I felt myself sigh because I did. I felt guilty. So you can have your dreams. You just have to figure out how to balance your time and how to figure that thing out, however God leads you. Um, you need your support system and you have to take care of your mental, whatever that is. Like I said, from reading something spiritual through mental health, because I should have gotten counseling a whole lot sooner than I did, but I was so focused on trying to get the kids what they needed. And then I was driving one day and I felt like I was just so angry and snapping and popping off at everybody and everything. And I was just unhappy and I was driving and I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit tell me that I had PTSD. Like that's how I ended up going to counseling because I was like, it's too much. I can't do it. I think that's, so you said a whole lot, you said a mouthful, right? That I think is important for moms to, to take with them, right? The One of the things you said, self-care, right? Deal with your mental yeah. important things that moms need to do and they need to take heed. Because a lot of times what we do is what you did. We sacrifice ourselves for our kids, right? But if we're not happy and we're not together, then we can't be the best moms to our kids. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about your experience is because there are lots of women who find themselves in your situation. But you don't hear a lot about it, right? They just take on the role. They take in, you know, nieces, nephews, cousins, you know, grandsons, and they do it because they love their kids. I mean, because they love the kids. They do it because maybe they feel obligated. They do it for a number mm -hmm. of reasons. 
but nonetheless. And there's nowhere for them to hear someone talk about their experience, right? Um, how they stepped into this role and they feel like confused and like, oh my gosh. So I think hearing your story will help a lot of other women. And I also think hearing you say, it's okay to pursue your dreams and to take care of your mental, right? Because those yes. are huge things. And those are things that I think as African-American women that we don't always talk about. So to hear you no, say like, no. grandmother, you know, she probably was suffering in silence, right? Because if, if it was your experience, then I'm sure it had. I believe she was. Mm -hmm. um, and so we want to live long, productive lives. And the best way to do that is to, to talk, to seek help, to do what we can. So tell, um, tell everybody how they can find you. And if you have any lasting words that you want to give other women, moms. Okay. Well, lasting words. I would say what I heard God say that made it okay, because my story didn't end with the kids graduating. You know, I felt like my love and support and whatever would get them to whatever status in life. And we went through a lot of trials and they ended up leaving. The boys left before they graduated high school. They went back to Louisiana. And then my sister, we just didn't even make it. We made it through her senior year, like the last two months and then she ended up going to live with my sisters it was just like so many challenges so much to the store but I was feeling bad I felt like a failure and I was just in my kitchen like God would just that was my place right he would speak to me and he just said I didn't ask you to be perfect I asked you to be available that blessed my soul Rochelle because I felt so bad I felt like I failed them I felt like I didn't complete the mission and there's no failure in parenting when parenting, when you have given your best, when you are, like you said, taking care of yourself, you know that you are just based on your mentality and your mindset at that time, you are doing the very best that you can do. And I had this perfectionist attitude. Like you have to let go of that and just do your best day by day. Like this is not a week by week. I'm talking day by day. Sometimes it's minute by minute because with children, like life happens so quickly and you just got to deal with it and deal with your stuff too. So just do your best when you, at the end of the day, you are not required to be a perfect parent, but if you are available mentally, if you are available physically and you're there and you're supplying their needs, what, what you can supply might not be what, what, what Beyonce can supply. But if you are doing your absolute best for your children and you're giving them lo love and guidance and you're setting them up to be who God has called them to be like in this earth and in this life, then you're just going to have to rest in that and know that they might not go the way that you saw them going, but God always has his hands on them. Like I truly believe this. I had a talk with my brother, like, some weeks ago and he came back and actually said thank you like I never would have gotten thought I would have gotten that thank you like I thought they all hated me and to a degree that I don't know whatever but again I still had God's approval and he let me know like you were available in that I am pleased and you're just gonna have to do that know that you're doing your very best and in terms of how they can find me they can find me at Shuli Speaks on Instagram. If you want to follow up, follow, go to speakingyoursuccess.com 
and send me a message through the contact page because at this point, like I'm working on a book talking about my story and how it's called Fear to Freedom, my journey, how in doing this, I realized I had a lot of fears and I've been on this journey like of going, obeying God and just walking in a free place. And I, I mean, this is me. This is my second chance. This is me. Like the kids are gone. I'm an empty nester, if you will. Um, so I'm writing a book to share my story and to share parts of my journey to help other people, like you said, because there are people going through it. So yeah, contact me at speakingyoursuccess.com. Go to the contact, leave me a message, and we can talk about it. Tell me what you need. If you have any questions, I am here. And I have lots of stories and things that worked out and things that didn't work so well. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. So we'll be hearing from you are welcome. in the upcoming weeks, we'll be hearing from different moms experiencing motherhood in different ways. But I really want to thank you for sharing your story. I think that this will speak to so many other moms doing motherhood in the unconventional way. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mahogany Moms podcast with me. If you like the podcast, please show your support by sharing it and leaving a review. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to mahoganymomspodcast.com. Until next time.